0: Hello. Hey, how's it going, Billy? Good, how are you? Doing well. I guess I should say good morning to
1: you. Yes, sir, yeah.
0: So, appreciate you being on the show today. Uh, We'll jump right into it. Um, First of all, I wanted to talk about um, the World is a Vampire Tour. Um, You know, and when we got the press release, you kind of described it as bringing back that sense of community where, you know, if you don't fit in, you know, you belong here. And I have to tell you, when I saw you guys in Austin back in October, I kind of felt that sense of community then because... I, I really saw a lot of people I hadn't seen in years, but you know, we used to go to a lot of shows in the '90s and early 2000s, and and there they were again—people I hadn't seen in years. So I, I, I thought that the way you described that was pretty much right on.
1: Thank you. I mean, as we've seen with the success of some of the bigger music festivals the last few years, they've gone very much to the pop um, side of the equation, and uh, that's their business model. It's it's their business to run. I feel in the market, you know, we're lacking this kind of true alternative music festival that's really focused on presenting alternative artists as stars and we're down here for example um we're playing in australia right now with the world is a vampire and uh you know jane's addiction is with us but also um, Amel and the sniffers which is an australian i guess they would describe themselves as a punk band um i was I, I, everyone kept telling me you got to see this band you got to see this band and, and you know i've had it where i've gone and think like yeah it's all right and i went and saw them and i was just blown away and and this is exactly what I'm saying, is like, um, you know, the singer of Amalus Lucifers is a star. And, and, and I know some Americans, uh, for example, know uh, who she is. But this is why alternative artists need to be presented in their own ecosystem and presented to stars. So that young people particularly can see that that community is just as important with its own set of values and its own, um, let's call it arcs. Of, of pathways to success and it, it doesn't involve selling out it doesn't involve compromising it doesn't involve you know doing what everybody else does to succeed in the world you need that you need that alternate choice for lack of a better word for a young artist to say look you can succeed in the world and you don't have to compromise you don't have to change who you are and you can extol the values that you believe in and you can find an audience that will support you in that um and we were lucky and of course in the 90s we played lala blues and that presents us to the world and And helped us have a lot of success and i just think you don't see that now and so we're trying to bring that back and you know just to reinforce that
0: a little bit uh you know when poppy opened here uh where i saw you in austin i was really glad that you encouraged fans to get out there early because when i got there it wasn't a lot of people streaming in. i mean the 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 venue was pretty full when she hit the stage so i i applaud you for for doing that for new talent because again it's we got to keep this thing going you know
1: listen um you know we (laughs) We opened for Guns N' Roses in 1991, somewhere around there. Right. <laughs> it wasn't an easy gig, you know. We were pretty much unknown and we got booed pretty mercilessly, you know. But hey, it's Guns N' Roses in 1991. Yeah. You know? It was a great opportunity. And I'm forever appreciative of the band for giving us that opportunity. We, we opened for the Chili Peppers in 92. Right. You know, a tour that Pearl Jam was on as well. I mean, incredible. They, it's, it, you know, the, I don't know. There's those terms like pay it forward and stuff like that. Yeah. I just think it's just good good vibes to to make sure that people uh, understand that for us, promoting young artists, giving young artists platforms and opportunities and sharing that space with them is, is really valuable.
0: I saw this interview where you mentioned that uh, your favorite moment in a concert is when everything gets real quiet and dark. <laughs> and you didn't really elaborate on that too much. So I wanted to kind of Pick it up from there and maybe talk about that a little bit
1: well we do awkward really well you know <laughs> uh, and uh we've always tried to kind of play with the concept of awkwardness because it's you know i can remember being on stage when i was 18 years old and having stage fright you know and the last thing you would want anything to, to do is awkward but once you get comfortable up there you realize there's a lot of energy that you can play with by doing the thing that's unexpected
0: All right well that totally makes sense I wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, wrestling. Now on the current tour in Australia, you feature pro wrestling with the NWA versus the WAOA. Uh, how is the format of this? I mean, is there match, show, match, or do you do match before the music or, you know, we didn't have that. I know you're gonna do that uh, in the upcoming dates, but how do you make the format of this work together?
1: Yeah, what's really interesting, and, and it was it was hard to explain it to everybody, but once everybody wrapped their heads around it inter- in, on the inside part of the, our world, um, everybody was supportive. The idea is, and here's my, here. is, let's pretend I'm giving you the pitch. Okay. Why can't we present wrestling like it's just another band? Right. If there's a 30 minute changeover between Poppy and Jane's Addiction, for example, why can't we use that 30 minutes to have wrestling? Yeah. If people want to go to the, uh, go get a, go get a drink. Well, they can just go. Like there's nothing stopping you. Just like there would be no stopping you if you want to go get a drink when a band is playing. Put the wrestling ring somewhere where it's easily locatable so people don't necessarily have to leave their spot if they want to be up front to watch, you know, the bands. And so for example, in Australia yesterday, we had the state, uh, we had to bring to the right of the stage. And after the, you know, after an artist finished, we had 20 or 30 minutes where the, just the wrestling was on yeah. and about half the crowd stayed and watched, had a great time. And then when that wrestling was over, it we went right back to music. Wow. So it's more like continuous programming. Um, so it doesn't take anybody, any, any uh, anybody's time. And it's optional if they want to participate. But you put it, you feature it in a way where it doesn't feel like it's you got to walk 500 yards to get to it. You know, it's like a sideshow thing. It's not a sideshow. It's presented as part of the show. Yeah,
0: that uh, is interesting because it kind of leads me into my next question. Obviously, owning uh, uh, the NWA, you're in the business of hype. Uh, being in concerts, music, you're still hyping a little bit. Maybe not so much as an artist, but have you found that? It's a little bit easier or more difficult to kind of get into that hype persona uh, when
1: you got into the wrestling. You know what? Believe it or not, I told myself, "Hey, you know, you've been doing this a long time. You just have to take this skill set of talking about a record or or a tour and just apply it to wrestling. It's a totally different skill set. (laughs) First of all, the way I'm talking to you is 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 too subdued for wrestling. Right? (laughs) Exactly. That's what I. (laughs) It it would be more like, "Listen, what you want to do is more up." And kind of aloud, so you have to learn how to modulate your tone and be a little hypey, more hypey, and uh, and then and I don't know. I, at times, I've been uncomfortable being kind of the the, the pro- promotional huckster. It's yeah. really not in my mo. Right. Um, but I, I take it as a challenge, and um, I always find it's easier if you're talking about others and you're praising others. It's like less a, of a navigation. to Just say, "Hey, I think this is great." Yeah. Um, and so I figured out my own way to do it, but I—I I still it's still a work in progress. And I'm always in awe of people in wrestling who are really good at that. Yeah, they go out and they say like these really simple things that I think like that's so simple. And of course they're kind of half yelling, and you hear the crowd, and the crowd goes crazy and think like okay, that's that's its own that's its own deal, you know. Well, my granddad raised me
0: on Ric Flair, and I always tried to impersonate him quite a bit when I was a child. So uh, I think I'm a lot, <laughs> a lot more subdued as an adult as I was back then. But uh, he, he was definitely the king back in the day, no doubt about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned music is at its best when things are the toughest. And, uh, you know, I've seen this from someone who may be going through a breakup, and they write a really great song. But, you know, in this day and age, we've just been going through years of tough times, you know, pandemics and social unrest and political division. Is that really what led to so much music that uh, just really sparked the creativity? Not one, not two, but three albums that eventually will all be under one package of autumn.
1: Um, it's hard to call it a perfect storm because obviously the storm was the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. But I think it was a, it was a combination of James had been back in the band long enough. Our relationships had sort of stabilized and we were kind of back into a rhythm of working. I really wanted to do this project and um, and I found myself with a lot of free time because we were all locked down. And so I was just like, I'm just going to jump in and see what happens. And I think I told myself at the beginning, like, look, if it doesn't work, we just won't put it out. Um, But once you start writing all that music and you go and you start spending money to start recording and it just gathers its own momentum and um, somehow it all worked out. I mean, even doing the podcast, you know, where I describe every song, you know, I come up against songs and I have to kind of reanalyze them and I'm like, gosh, what was I thinking? It's just, it's such a blur. It was so much work. I guess I guess I, I'm trying to answer your question faithfully. I think what it's really about is, look I'm you know I just turned fifty six I've been doing this a long time. I got into it because I wanted to write music and I wanted to make music and I want to be in the band and of course, lots has happened in those last thirty five years, um good times and bad times, and then you know, uh, recently, I'm engaged to my partner of ten years. We have two children or seven and four. Life's changed. Life's different, the world changes. And you wake up one day and you have to ask yourself, do I really want to do this? You know, am I doing this because that's what I do, or do I really, really want to do this, or should I do something else? And so for me, it was to recommit at a very deep level. I do want to do this. And and my way of expressing that to the public is to, is to really show that I'm I'm willing to go above and beyond to point out that the pumpkins is a really unique band in many ways. I understand why lot, not a lot of people understand that, but I, I was a Rush fan. I'm, I am a Rush fan and I grew up with a lot of people always kind of raising their eyebrow at Rush, like, oh, it's too weird and his voice and the thing. And it, there was always some kind of excuse. Right. Either met a Rush fan or you met somebody who didn't understand why people were Rush fans. Right? That's right. And I've seen that some, to a certain extent with the pumpkins, you know, it's like people love the pumpkins, love the pumpkins and people don't kind of go, I don't get it, the trip and his voice and same, same arguments. Right. I think what you want to say is to the people that love you and the people that support you, we're in this, like you've given us this opportunity and we want to repay our gratitude by showing you, we want to go, we want to go above and beyond. We could phone it in, but we don't want to, it's not who we are. That We think we think that's why you like us, that we're insane or just a little bit goofy. So, okay. Life's not, you know, life's not too far down the pike here to, to give it another shot. Right. So it's tying it in with melancholy and machine and all of it, just it all just seemed to line up in this crazy time we were in yeah it sure did
0: um along with the 33 songs featured on autumn uh, there will be 10 additional bonus tracks uh, i believe included in the box set on vinyl if i'm correct um and oh, you yeah. kind of described them as psychedelic tracks that were written uh previously or before the songs on autumn so what can you tell us about the bonus tracks
1: it's actually it's actually the if it makes any sense it's the album before autumn okay so it's it is a official record It's the volume three record. Here was volume two and volume one was the root record. We did with Rick Rubin, the shiny, no, so bright record. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a secret record in the autumn box set. It actually does fit in the storyline. Um, and, uh, it's got a kind of a mid sixties kind of psych vibe. Um, it's just the mood that I was in coming out of the pandemic or in the middle of the pandemic, I just want to do something for fun. And somehow I wandered into this project and we kind of put it on the shelf thinking, okay, well once we got in autumn, it's like, well, that will never come out or it'll come out 20 years from now. Uh And I got to thinking like, well, why not? Let's just put it in there. And and I think people really enjoy it. It's it's totally different than autumn.
0: Well, I'm glad you're including it, uh, you know, during this, this process, because, you know, you were, that's kind of where your headspace was at. I mean, it all seems like it kind of works together and, and just vinyl, man. I, I'm so happy to see vinyl coming back. You know, I, I'm always a big vinyl person. And, you know, my daughter's 18. She's got a huge vinyl collection. She's starting. I I really love the fact that we're embracing vinyl
1: again. Here's the funny one. So when we put out Side Dream in 1993, we went to Virgin Records at the time and said, um, you know, we'd like to put this out in vinyl. And they said no. And we said, what do you mean no? And they said, well, no one cares about vinyl anymore. So then when we sold a bunch of records, we went back again, like later in the year and said, okay, we really, really want to put out vinyl. And they said okay okay and we'll press a few just to make you happy right and of course that's that album in that form is now a total collector's item because there aren't many um so it's funny to me that you know what is it 30 years ago yeah we had to beg someone to put something on vinyl and now they're, <laughs> now they're begging us to put stuff on
0: <laughs> that's great the way it worked out uh when you have you know uh songs for from one album and you have to decide on that lead off track uh you guys have you know not 11, not 15, not 20, but over 30 songs. And then you got to come out with, you know, being the radio guy. Uh, what is that decision like having so many songs to say, okay, this is the first, uh, you know, thing you get to hear from this, uh, this mega album that's coming out in different incarnations.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it always turns into a big argument. You know, I have my impressions, co-producer has his impressions. Then you get it to the people who've never heard anything that you've done recently. And then, You know they start glomming onto certain tracks um it's hard to explain you know my only thing is always is it saying something new because i've certainly experienced it where i have people around me not in the band gravitate toward tracks which are more reminiscent to them of old work it's not to say it's a bad song but it's like oh it reminds them of something so they think that's what people want to hear it's like release the same movie all over again right and that's never really worked for us and it certainly hasn't worked for us in the last 15 years so i was very um pernicious about saying whatever song you guys want to go with here and it ended up being beguiled let's make sure it says, says something new i'd rather take a chance that way than and try to go for familiar uh, for example uh some people gravitated towards the new single spellbinding they wanted to put that out first and i, I had the sneaky suspicion is like is it because the chorus kind of reminds you of like old sp kind of thing you know but it's worked out now i think because because we started with begal to kind of set the right context so then when a song like spellbinding comes along it's like Oh, cool. They still do that too. It's not, <laughs> oh, that's what they still do. Right. It's a totally different tone. Um, just to pe- people outside the business, it might seem a weird thing, but we've all had that experience. I've certainly done it. friend comes to you and says, Hey, did you hear your favorite band X? Put out a new song, not the band X, just any band. And you go listen to the song, you listen to half of it. And it is, it isn't what you want it and it doesn't blow you away. And you, and you click it off halfway through. Right. And that's just the reality of the world that we live in, you know. You, you, you might only have two minutes to get somebody's ear. And so the impression that you leave in that two or three minutes is really, really important to how your ear is going to go. So, Begala really got it going well. The podcast uh, 33 with
0: William Patrick Corgan, uh, you know, is very informative series. I mean, it talks about the songs in autumn. Uh, did it take a lot to convince you to do this? Or did you say, you know, I, I really want to give an in-depth... You know, I, obviously you can't do a 33-hour interview with everyone, but it does give you an opportunity to kind of take these uh, different episodes and talk about, you know, the different songs. I mean, what convinced you to finally get in there to do that uh, work for that?
1: It was actually my idea. Um, people have chased me for years to do a podcast, you know, people in that world. It's never really clicked for me for a variety of reasons. But I had it in the back of my mind that people in the podcasting industry were saying you would, you would be good at podcasting, right? So I thought, right, I'll just do my own podcast to, to describe the record. And um, there were people around me at the time, not in the, not in business with us now. They were telling me it was a terrible idea. No one's gonna listen. You know, you're not gonna be able to sustain a 33 week series. You know, who cares? New music, all that stuff. I just said, I don't care, I'm just gonna do it. I just, even if it's a historical record that people, future fans of Autumn could go back and listen to, I just, I just always find it weird when people are trying to talk you out of doing stuff. It's It's a weird. I mean, I'm not talking about doing opera here, you know what I mean? We're talking about making a rock record, albeit 33 to 43 songs, depending on how you look at it, and then and then doing a podcast talking about the record, and you got people trying to talk you out of both.
0: Well, one thing I've learned from talking with you today is you are very great at not listening to outside voices, and I, I wish I could be better at that, because sometimes, you know, these outside voices, and then they start talking to my inside voice, and then like, then I start agreeing, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that. I admire you for uh, not letting the outside voices steer you in a different direction than what you chose
1: yeah i have I have a bit of a reputation for not listening to people, but it's not true. <laughs> I actually do listen to people I listen to people all day yeah, yeah. um if you're around me in a in a in a business situation, I think you would be pleasantly um i not surprised but um you'd be encouraged that all day long I talk to people I talk to people backstage I talk to people around the wrestling ring um it's um there's nothing wrong with hearing people's opinions, but there's nothing wrong um The difficulty is sometimes they can't see what you see, like in the case of the pumpkins as the main person who runs the band behind the scenes and and the main person who writes the songs, you know, I kind of have my levers on what where the points of emphasis are yeah. so somebody can come along i mean I'll, just to make you laugh, okay, people pull me aside and I- I kid you not I'm not even joking, people pull me aside and go. You know, if you could just make music more like Siamese Dream Again, things would probably be easier for you. <laughs> now, that's probably a valid point, right? Right. You know what I mean? Hey, people really like that sound. People like those songs. If you could do more of that, it would go well for you. Yeah. Not a, an opinion that offends me or um, you could argue is incorrect, but they don't understand where I'm standing, the journey I've been on, why would choose to make a certain kind of music one year and a certain kind of music another. Right. And the other thing about an artist is you just have to accept failure as part of the game. It's just, um, you know, I encourage anybody to go look at Picasso's bad paintings. Picasso was arguably the greatest painter of the 20th century. He painted a lot of bad paintings of trees that are just aren't very interesting. Would you argue that he shouldn't have painted that tree? You know what I mean? It's like, this is a weird, because maybe him painting the tree on Tuesday led him to paint a masterpiece on Wednesday. There you go. I think it's where sometimes people get lost. Yeah. A musical journey is, is like a, a totally crooked road, oftentimes for which there is no exit. Yeah.
0: Well, that's a great way to close out the show. Billy, I appreciate it, man. Uh, first time interviewing you and uh, everything I was hoping for and more. And uh, like I said, uh, best of luck. And uh, coming back to start things in Vegas, would you Would you ever do a Vegas residency? Just, just to close it out here, is that something that would ever appeal to you? Or do you feel like it just needs to go city to city to city?
1: No, we have talked about it we actually have we had discussions for the years. My my interest would be if, and you know, Vegas is a very unique town in this regard. Sure. If somebody in Vegas wanted to help us create a show that you could only have in Vegas, meaning you had you, we put on such a crazy, like, I don't know, somebody came to us and said, we would love it if you would do Melancholy in full. Well, we could do that without you. Okay, but we're going to give you all this uh, production opportunity. We're going to make the ultimate Melancholy show. It'll blow people's minds. It'll have all this video and you know dancing and god knows what we would bring out there but the point is is that's where we would entertain it because it would be a unique opportunity for fans to see us in in a in a really interesting setting outside of that no i don't see it
0: well best of luck uh down in australia for the rest of what you got going on down there and of course uh fans will definitely be enjoying uh the world as a vampire tour coming uh to north america next a uh, little bit later on this year so thanks again for being on the show and we'll talk to you soon bill
1: thank you bye bye bye